Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. <laughs> Happy Friday afternoon, everyone. Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative here. Once again, with the rundown with Rob and Rich, where we take you into the weekend uh, with God knows what related to the mortgage industry. And uh, as always, pleased to be joined, Rob Chrisman. Rob, good to see you. You too, Rich. And this I, uh... year, I'm in Chicago right now. Chicago. That's I saw and, in your uh, newsletter this morning. What are you and doing? I I came with it. I came very close to showing up in your driveway to do this show and see if you could guess where I was. <laughs> but the uh, the the timing the timing didn't work. So five hour drive Chicago to Cleveland. Nice fifty minute flight. So you could have done it. Well, I've I've got a car. I'm going to drive. I'm actually going to drive tomorrow morning at like 3 a.m. So you're driving from Chicago back to Reno? Back to Cleveland. Cleveland, God's country, Rich. Pay attention. You're coming to Cleveland. Coming to Cleveland. Really? There there was a basketball game there Sunday. Oh, that's right. The all-star game. Yes. That, uh. You're going to be in attendance. I've seen what those tickets are going for in the secondary market. So, uh, you know, it, uh, it speaks nothing, to- nothing that a little color printer uh, can't uh, can't <laughs> zip out. And I don't mind standing. <laughs> uh, this right. week, we are joined, Rob and I, by one of my favorite guys, the SVP National Production for Verity Mortgage, a division of uh, one of our longtime members, Eustace Mortgage. Stephen Barton. Stephen, great to see you, man. Stephen, oh, thank you for unmuting yourself. Yeah, I'm still learning how to do this Zoom thing. Uh, something new to me. Stephen is a longtime production guy in the industry, ran production for some pretty, pretty big companies and uh, always brings a lot of great perspective, truth, honesty, and humor. So we figured with the year off to kind of a goofy start and Everybody crying, woe is me. We'd uh, welcome Stephen's perspective on just the production side of the business as we get into a year that has been a little depressing out of the gate. So, how many, uh, Rich, how many, how many guys and gals two years ago, you know, were packing up some box of their office supplies saying, oh, God, this, this thing, this thing will be over in a couple of weeks. I'll be, we'll be, I'll see you in a couple of weeks you know, to their office mates as they headed for their car. And here we are two out, two years later, and people are still, you know, work, working from home, working remotely, something. Well, I, I remember it was three years ago at our conference, the winter of 19, when it was just a horrific winter for the mortgage industry. And there was so much talk about just, you know, small lenders questioning if they could make it. There was a lot of people moving to be a mortgage broker because of just expenses and cut margins. And after that, 2019 ended up being a better year than we thought. And then we all know what happened in 2020 and 2021. So just when you think you know what the hell is going to happen in the mortgage industry, you typically take a left turn. And uh, that's why, yeah, anxious to get Stephen's perspective as we go into a year that is starting to depress people. But uh, Rob, speaking of depressing, we could start out by talking about like, you know, the Senate trying to block Sandra Thompson and 
uh, Fed nominees, Jay Powell, or the CFPB's new policy opening up to the public for rulemaking. Um, but I think we just got to start. The one stat I saw this week, investors, private investors bought almost 20% of the purchased homes in the fourth quarter uh, in America, which I thought was staggering. And uh, we're in this kind of era now, record low inventory, unprecedented home price growth. You know, and I know you're kind of a let the markets work it out guy, but should government be interceding? You know, as we now are seeing reports where institutional investors are buying close to 20% of the homes in America in a time where that's never been a worse thing for the housing industry. Do you do you remember where that statistic came from, Rich? One, one out of five seems pretty high. I think it was like 18 point something percent. So of all per- homes purchased in Q4, and it was core logic. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, the... Uh, <coughs> 74% you know, of those were all cash deals, too. I thought that was an interesting number. 74% just uh, industry-wide. Of the institutional... Nation. Oh. Yeah. So, so 74%. So some of the institutions were having to borrow money. 26%. That's kind of odd. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The, you know, I think we've talked about this, the, you know, when we were coming out 2008, 2010, the institutional buyers in part stopped the foreclosure wave that we all thought we were going to get swamped with and soaked up a lot of the inventory as did private private individuals and investors, you know, doctors, dentists, you know, junior landlords, or, you know, people with 10 or 15 properties, some more professional landlords. So that that soaked up a lot of the foreclosure glut that we thought we were going to see. Now, you know, especially these institutions, they've been raising the rents. They have a lot of equity and they're, they don't see a lot of, they don't see a bubble bursting. As we've talked about, it's just it's just the demographics are there. People want to own homes, and unfortunately for so many or so many of our clients or potential clients, they they are bidding against you know Blackstone or BlackRock and and so forth, and it's it's a real problem. So the you know it's hard to see how this year will shape up against last year or the year before. But suffice it to say, the market has gotten tougher and, and everybody's saying, well, there'll be more purchases this year. Well, you know, a lot of those purchases will be cash. Some portion of them will be institutions. Um, and so the, the, the pool of potential independent mortgage bank or bank or credit union clients starts to drop off a little bit. But I mean, Stephen, are you seeing that at... Uh, uh, very are, are you seeing a lot of just your clients getting outbid by all cash or institutions? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you think you're seeing it in all of our markets right now. And the thing that we try to do, and we've we've always done, so it wasn't a shift from that, is try to put our our borrowers in a better position. So we've underwritten every purchase loan before they even found a property since as long as I've been in the mortgage business, and I had no idea that it was really just for the, this moment, right? From 20, for 2020, um, when we started doing that 20 years ago, because now your customers are almost as good as cash. Our, our agents can represent almost as good as cash because they can remove finance contingencies for our borrowers because we've already gone through underwriting on everything. 
Um, we've also instituted a policy where our uh, loan officers call every listing agent every time a buyer's agent submits an offer to let them know, hey, we've underwritten this loan. We're just looking for a property. We can close in 15 to 20 days. Um, and so you've got to kind of look at those market flows, maybe not shift your entire business model because things do uh, tend to be cyclical and come back around to where that's not as important. Um, it's not something we'll ever change doing against the way I've always done it just because you know, 92% of our business is purchased. Uh, it's back up to that number, which is great. And 86% of that business comes from referral partners, whether it be a real estate agent or a builder. And so you have to almost protect it and view it as protecting your realtor's business because if they're not getting those buyers to get those transactions, then they can't continue to feed their business to get you more business. So it's almost, uh, it's offensive for us, but in, in the case of the, some of the people on the call making that shift would almost be a little defensive, but it's an okay defensive strategy right now, seeing what's going on in the marketplace. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. The, the point that, that I've been trying to make on our, on our sessions, as Rich knows, is, all right, the, mar the market is what the market is. Rates are going to go up. They may go down. They go up. This, this is all going to happen. It's, it's, it's what are individual lenders doing in terms of sales management? You know, how are they changing the conversation that originators are having with borrowers? What about your product set? Is your product set tailored to somebody who might have uh, you know, a 60% LTV loan, but it's a two and three quarters and they want to buy a, sprint, a sprinter? And, and tootle around the United States. What kind of products do you have to offer offer that borrower? So the certainly the conversation has changed as it should, as we knew it would. You know, it wasn't like we were going to have two and a half percent thirty year fixed rate mortgages for the rest of our lives. We we knew that this would, you know, bound to bound to rally up and and move ahead, especially as the economy picked up steam. So, Stephen, are you seeing? On the sales side, the you know regional managers, divisional managers, however you're structured, uh, are they coaching the originators on 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 what to do now, or are you having uh, roundtable sessions or Zoom calls among originators to have some of the more experienced hands who've been through a few business cycles talk to the talk to the youngins about what to do in this environment? You know, um, so what we try to do, because uh, with Kate and I, we, we, we kind of built it to where we don't have a ton of layers in between us and the sales force. So um, when you look at what's going on right now, I do the bulk of the coaching for the loan officers and the team. So um, in November, I kind of looked at what the strategy looked like and Kate and I discussed it. And so we started doing business planning 2025 with all of our loan officers. Because if you look at what most uh, companies do, they're trying to business plan for next year, and they usually start at the end of December or the beginning of January, right? And at that point, it's too late because the train's on on back of you. So what we did is we took a strategy of looking at what do you want your life to look like at the end of 2025? And we don't focus on production. We don't focus on volume units. And then once we created that world for our salespeople on what they wanted their personal and professional lives to look like, we backed it down to 2022 and said, okay, what can we do today to affect your partners, um, your title companies, anybody that's involved in the business and help you start growing now? And then that's when we could actually look at the strategies we needed to implement in a very complicated, tough market that's shifting, right? 
And we talked about uh, a couple things, which was adaptability, right? I mean, that's the biggest thing right now in a salesperson or even a mortgage company can have is adaptability, being able to pivot in and out of things and being flexible when things don't maybe go the way you want and, and being able to pivot into those things. And the second thing was just trusting that you knew that this is just a cycle in the major cycles that we've seen, almost like what you said in 2008, 2010, when we saw this in a different format, right, for a different reason, but uh, kind of similar in the fact that institutional investors helping us out and getting us through that. And, and the ones that saw the future almost a little bit further down the road, got their eyes off their feet, which a lot of originators are looking at their feet right now. Oh my God, have you seen rates? Rates are going up. And those ones that are doing that, we are having to coach them up a little bit because it's like, hey, no, 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 get your eyes up on the horizon because rates are still 5%. You should, you should be excited about that, right? Because we've all been in this business when they were 9, 12, 14, and this is a great time to uh, to continue on. So we spent a lot of time on the coaching. The business plan 2025 really helped. And then what we did combined with that is we started doing uh, like grassroots uh, campaigns back to our agents. So just over the last, I'd say, three weeks, I've met with probably 142 agents uh, across Texas personally and just getting back to the grassroots saying, hey, where are we going in 2025? Let's talk about technology. Let's talk about what it looks like. And, and inevitably, they come back to, well, what's your specialty products and all that stuff? And, and we have been having to grow that as well. So, but you're, you're dead on. Do you, have, uh, do you have minimum production requirements? Well, I mean, we've always kind of had that just by uh, osmosis. So if you look at our company, we're not a huge whale. I think we finished around 1.9 billion, but we did it with 60 loan officers. So we've always kind of had that uh, mentality of take like a really good producer and then build a team around them. Um, but we do have people that, you know, hit that five to $8 million mark still, but that's kind of where it lines up is $8 million. We try to help you grow. Um, but it, we're not afraid to jump in the boat and grab an oar. And that's one of the things I would encourage the leaders on this call is, you know, if you really want to understand how the market is different, you need to get back onto the street and you need to get shoulder to shoulder with your top salespeople and show that you're in it with them for two reasons. One, it, it gets your salespeople motivated, but two, it lends legitimacy to your referral partners and to the street that, man, this company gets it. They're down in here working it because that's what it takes now. Stephen, you have a uh, a sense of 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 the the unfortunately I, I got to bring this up because it sounds like you're very in tune with, with the sales force, but do you have a sense of of the magnitude of the? I keep hearing about these signing bonuses, signing bonuses, signing bonuses, especially from firms who have some kind of venture capital money or or went public, uh, shall we say? Are you seeing that firsthand? You have uh, good originators coming back to you and saying, boy, I, re I really like it here, but dot, dot, dot. Yeah, I mean, we have, and we've hired in the last 12 months, like a $100 million producer, an $80 million producer, and then two $50 million producers in the last 12 months. And that has come up. And, and what we tell them is, look, we, we would love to be a company that does signing bonuses. It's just something we can't do, um, not because we financially I can't do it, but because it kind of goes against our core beliefs um, of buying someone's book of business because we feel like we offer so much. Um, we do guarantees, though. We'll take their compensation over a 12-month and give them a 60-day run. Um, and it's really just about kind of putting together your value proposition of, hey, this is what it looks like over here. It's different. You know, the CEO and the, the guy running production are going to actually fly to your town and go on realtor calls and 
Um, we do something like when an agent refers us a 10th deal for a year, Kate or myself call that agent personally and thank them. You know, it's, and it's also, it's like a movement of change. You're almost selling a little bit, uh, nod to movement mortgage in North Carolina, but um, you know, you have to do these different things. And then when you see those signing bonuses, walk away. Cause I, I mean, just the other day I had a branch. He's like, Hey, I'm getting offered by another competitor, $30,000. And this was an $18 million a year producer. And I just said, man, I think it's awesome. I think you should take the money and hope you can make it 12 months so that you don't have to repay it when you come back. Uh, because, you know, it's just what the companies are having to do. Instead of acting in desperation and buying books of business, get back to the fundamentals, start adding value propositional products and technology, and just sell the belief that you're operationally superior and you can do loans better. Yeah. I, I you know, Ira, Ira chimed in with, you know, if they come for money, they can leave for money. and. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's a whole school of thought out there that says we're not going to pay, you know, big bucks. And, and, and you know, it, it may work out financially for the company because they have to figure out, OK, we make we can make this much off of every loan. And if we keep, you know, if we if we factor out the refis for this particular originator or branch from 2020 and 2021, if we you know eliminate the refis, what, what does their purchase volume look like? take the purchase volume times the profit per loan, multiply it by X number of months and come up with a figure like that. Um, it's a, you know, it's a, hopefully it's, it's a, it's a statistical issue like that and not some kind of emotional issue where it's like you get into a bidding war over yeah. somebody who's doing 3 million a month. It's like, what the heck's going on out there? Well, and just think about the guys that ran the model like that in the last six months on the purchase guys and how they're upside down now because of all the deviations and the compression. And so when you go off the fundamentals like that and you see this shift, you actually end up losing even more on those sides of things. So another way to incentivize a loan officer is give them extra basis points for doing higher volume in their first six months. So if they're usually going to make 120, if they hit you know 60 million in their first six months, pay them a 30 basis point volume incentive in the first 60 months. It's way more than what a signing bonus was because then you ensure you're capitalizing on the revenue um, that you need to be able to afford the signing bonus instead of leveraging some cash you have now because you had good years that you end up getting caught the other direction. Right. Also, that doesn't cause, I, I would think that would cause less resentment among originators who were already with ABC Mortgage. It's like, oh, bringing in this, Rich Serbinsky free agent guy, and you got a half a million dollar signing bonus. Well, la di da, I didn't get anything. Kind of, kind of thing. You don't want that. You don't want that resentment among your existing loyal staff. Well, we bring our top producers into almost all of our interviews with other producers, and so that when that happens, they'll get on the honest train because it's peer to peer, and they'll say, "Hey, when you came over, do you get a signing bonus?" And they'll tell them, "We don't need to do that here. We're just better." And so you could ask for it, but I can tell you the answer you're already going to get. And so they're already hearing it from somebody like we have $200 million producers and I always put one of them in front of them. And they say, I didn't get it when I came here because here's why. And this is what I've seen. And this is what happens to my life. And so it almost kind of shuts that person down from asking it and shifts them to going, holy crap, this might just be better if these guys aren't asking for it. Um, so I would encourage people to do that too. interject your best people into the process and they'll help you uh, sell your value proposition. Do you ever bring in uh, and Rich chime in here any anytime you want? Uh, do you, but uh, Stephen, do you ever bring in older loan or older people in residential lending who may not have been loan officers, thinking okay they know the business, 
we can make a we can make teach an old dog new tricks and and make them into a loan officer. Um, I both ways, yes. The answer is yes because look, there you cannot uh, ever look away from experience, um, especially when you talk about someone who's been in the business over twenty years or twenty five. They've seen more things than even I can hope to forget. Um, you know, and so having that experience on your team, a hundred percent, the challenge you run into there is, you know, they probably weren't in a pro production role. And if you look at the average age of the real estate agents, they're probably trying to go get, they probably have longer established relationships. So what we try to do is harness that knowledge and put them with teams, um, that are successful so they can help grow the team from a sales base and an operational and experience base and help guide them on things like this. And I'd say conversely is the true to finding the next group of talent too that's coming in. Um, you can't just look in the middle always. You have to look at the beginning and the end to find, you know, some of the best people that are still out there. This yeah. is the rundown with Rob and Rich. I'm Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative, uh, joined as always by Rob Crisman. And this week, joined by the SVP National Production for Verity and Eustace Mortgage, Stephen Barton, picking Steve's brain on just the production uh, recruiting side of the business uh, is very much in the forefront right now. Stephen, has how, if at all, has the pandemic changed procuring referral business from realtors and other sources, especially for newer salespeople to the industry? Well, it's definitely changed the game and the fact that it's not as easy to get into an office with 80 agents and try to bounce around and see people because there's only two in there now, right? Um, you know, so that has been probably one of the challenges for some of the younger people uh, or newer people getting into the business, regardless of age. The good news is, is the technology has allowed them to still get into some of those markets, um, doing different things than the traditional stuff. And I think that's why you're, you're looking at the new people that are coming in, regardless of age. You want to make sure you find a company that's stable, that has a great reputation, um, that has a pretty good technology platform to be able to help you integrate there. But at the end of the day, has understood that market of where we're at today, which is referral partners, you know, CPAs, financial planners, builders, and those types of things. And, and more importantly, you've got to show them how to, to work that, to go get that done. Because life is opening back up, right? We're now all going to closings again, which is great. We're seeing more realtor networking, happy hours, BNI groups are back in full swing. So there is still of that uh, opening that's coming on. The world of going into an office with a ton of real estate agents, I think, is probably behind us more than it is ahead of us. I mean, there's still some that do it. Um, so it's important, like I said, even for people that are getting into the business or ones that have been here is to stay adaptable. Don't go to what you always did to make something work. You have to change your approach. And we rebuilt our entire sales process um, to focus on the pandemic, to be able to grab more referrals. And, you know, that aligns with our company vision, which our company vision is five referrals off of every loan we close. And that penetrates through our entire organization, whether it be accounting or HR. And so you have everybody focused on making sure that you get those five referrals. So as in your, in your position, Stephen, what, <clears throat> what do you spend most of your day doing? I spend the, mo the bulk of the time on technology, um, really trying to look at how that works. And then also um, the customer experience and how it affects uh, through technology. And then that usually leads me into marketing. Um, so I try to spend about 50% of my week doing that. The rest of the 50%, I'm doing sales calls with loan officers. I'm talking to loan officers, trying to help them understand uh, different markets. And then, uh, you know, just working with our leadership team to make sure everybody keeps their feet on the ground and 
you know, it's like we, I tell people all the time, and this is probably a bad view is there's only two departments in a mortgage company, sales and every other department that supports sales. So if you don't produce something, you better figure out a way to help the people that are bringing in business produce more quality as well um, so that we can continue to grow. Do you get a sense that the originators are worried or sitting there wringing their hands? I guess it's it's up to you to help motivate them not to sit there and say, woe is me and pull their hair out and wring their hands. It's up to you to, to get them going in the right direction. And you talked about 2025 and yeah. so forth. Has that has your job changed over the last few years in terms of in terms of that? Well, we're in Texas, so we have cattle prod, so it makes it a little bit easier. But uh, of course, no. I, I in the last three years, I've told people when they say, "What do you do?" I said, "I'm kind of like a sports agent, right? My job is to get people out of jail when they get trapped, and then when they're feeling down, build them back up so they get up off the mat." And and we had one of our top producers, uh, you know, crying the other day. You know, here's what's going on, and my production's down. And I said, "The plight of the millionaire loan officer." I'm like, nobody feels sorry for you. You got a Cadillac Escalade. You got a good looking wife. I said, get your ass back in the street and start selling. Let's go. And, you know, when you when you look at this world and, I, and we are fortunate because even our hundred million dollar producers, they will have those fits of the ego that you, you get to deal with on a daily basis. And it's about me. But um, you have to constantly remind them, look, it's not going to be easy even for you. And that's OK, because hard work is good work. And we're supposed to work hard because we're taking care of people and you have a new world for all these buyers. And it's a scary world because rates are up for them. They're barely getting houses and they're exhausted. So I'm not going to let you who has this great life and all these things get exhausted too. get out there and help these people. Cause that gets us our five referrals. Steven, yeah. five years from now, what percentage of home buyers will use a human realtor if the population is hundred percent now? I don't know if you'd asked me this question three years ago when we were sitting in Chicago the last time, I would have told you it'd be here today. But it's funny how uh, the pandemic has a way of everybody thought it would go completely technology based then, right? And I think better.com's learning the hard way. Uh, it's not that easy to do mortgages because it's humans are complex and, and the transactions are complex. But um, I think five years, I mean, that'll be a tough way to edge out a lot of people that, I mean, you're hedging your bet that on Realology and, and Zillow and some of these guys can uh, use their financial wherewithal to push realtors into their platform uh, and make it technology based. But that's why lenders got to be really, really smart with their technology um, platform. And you and I talk about this all the time, Rich, is if you're not building your world as the mortgage lender to protect your agents, your CPAs and financial planners, then you're short-sighted because um, if their stuff starts to run out, then then you're definitely going to run out because, you know, a useless mortgage doesn't have enough money to compete with Amazon. It's just not physically possible. Um, so there's only a couple in our industry, whether it be, uh, you know their names, I'm not going to mention them, but uh, non-TMC members is what I'll call them. Um, but, you know, so you have to be able to focus on that stuff. And we started doing that about three years ago. It's helping us now today, but I would encourage lenders to do that as well. The general recruiting climate, you've been recruiting loan originators, better part of your professional life. How would you classify it right now as opposed to other cycles you've seen? Uh, it's the most fun I've ever had. I mean, uh, you know, it's uh, recruiting just sucks in general, right? And, and it's something I always love to do back when I was a rush chairman in my fraternity. Uh, so I've been doing it since college. But 
Um, this cycle is the most different because you have so many people, uh, companies running off on their business right now and just dropping. I mean, you saw Lone Depot reporting, what, 91% down uh, quarter over quarter. And so you see them stretching with their arms and their checkbooks. And I always find that amazing because um, I've never uh, partook in that side of it. I've never had the resources to do it. And so uh, for me, it's a, the strategic way of um, using things like model match um, to verify who you're talking to, using the resources that are out there um, to get in front of people and then being genuine. You know, I, I presented to uh, someone from a local company here on uh, Tuesday and he said, you know, I, I think I'm going to go with a bank. And I said, why? And he's like, well, they have a uh, jumbo product that has a really good rate and a portfolio. And I said, all right, well, let me pull up your production really quick. And I had model match up on the screen. And I said, you did 2% jumbo. So you're going to go to a bank that can't close a loan in 45 days for 2% of your business, you know? And so you have to really make yourself knowledgeable. It's like uh, the art of war, right? You have to know your enemy and you have to figure out how you're going up. Not that you talk bad about anybody ever because you want to stay positive because if we all, the rising tide raises all ships, right? But that's different between knowing what makes you different and finding out if that difference is what is going to make that originator better fit for you and help them grow their lives. So, Stephen, you mentioned that a good chunk of your day or week is spent looking at technology and figuring out if that fits in, figuring out the value proposition. How do you look at for for the vendor vendors on the crowd here and and the, and the vendor management? groups who are on the on the call here if you're looking at a new uh, a new vendor let's say a, a like a credit company wants to come in and and do you know be your be your credit source how do you how do you view them how, how do you go through the process of analyzing a new vendor I mean, so, you know, if you're looking at like a credit company, it, two things that credit companies, I would encourage them not to do is lead with, you know, we're going to build a better price for you, right? Um, people, don't, I don't think, understand, or maybe they do, and I'm just short-sighted, how important having the right credit partner is because they do so much work for our borrowers uh, outside of just pulling a uh, FICO score for us, right? And the work that they do, if you have the right partner, can save you deals. So, um, from a credit uh, partner perspective, I really look at the access to the right people, uh, meaning um, I don't want just a rep. Is it it's someone who understands credit, someone that knows how to get in there with me and if I need a rapid rescore, things like that, understands that the team works at the speed that we work at because um, we do work at a very rapid pace. When it comes to technology, you know, you're always looking at, and Rich does one of these in every uh, seminar we do, which is the buy versus build. Um, we have a very strong um, technology team that builds half of our technology, but we buy half of our technology because there's smarter people than us out there and they built a better mousetrap. So you really um, try to take cost out of the equation when you're evaluating technology and new partners, because if you just look at cost, it's going to be short-sighted uh, and you're probably going to make a bad decision that uh, gets you into the wrong place. And I've done that uh, in the last five years, so I've learned the hard way. Um, but luckily, you know, TMC has a lot of really strong partners. They do a great job vetting uh, the partners um, to making sure that when we, we they get to us, they, they know that we're not here because of price alone. We're here because of the value of, of what we all can do for each other. Good answer. The competitive climate, Stephen, uh, you mentioned depositories. You guys are obviously an independent mortgage bank. Uh, 
I, I think IMB market share led by Rocket and some super big national guys that have gone crazy, probably 60, 65% right now. It was the flip-flop depositories 10 years ago. We're, we're doing about two-thirds of the business in America led by a lot of the big banks that have backed off a little bit. Uh, mortgage brokers, you know, they gain market share, lose market share. How, how do you just view, I guess, the the competitive climate in general, independent mortgage banks and depositories and, and mortgage brokers? I mean, it takes us all, right? I mean, that's the big deal is uh, everybody has kind of their own niche, whether you're a broker or, or a depository or us, you know? Um, so for me, what I try to look at is uh, each market in general is a little different. Like if you look at like Amarillo, Texas, where we've had a lot of success, that's a very bank run town, right? These smaller towns. So you have to understand the low cost model that those banks present, um, but also the upside of a more government-based uh, business because of USDA and, and FHA being the prevalent market share. So you can do those types of things and still be successful. So understanding your market is first and foremost. And secondarily, like I said, it's understanding um, the difference in what each one of your competitors brings to the table because each one of them are very worthy competitors, which is great. Um, but each one of us do something a little bit different. And some of it could be we do it the same, but the leadership is different. And that can be the value proposition of the fact that, you know, you can call my cell phone 24-7. You can get a hold of Kate Decay all the time. And so that that's also could be a differentiator. It doesn't even cost you anything, just time. This is The Rundown with Robin Rich. Uh, this week, uh, lucky to be joined by Eustace Mortgage, SVP of National Production, Stephen Barton. And we got a few minutes left. Uh, Stephen, any other off the radar stuff you're looking at as uh, we get into the end, hopefully, of winter here uh, in 22? I, you know, I, obviously the rate climate is much higher than anybody thought uh, to start the year. Do you see any maybe government intervention that's starting to, housing is starting to become a national issue? We're in an election year. There's starting to be some uh, discussion, Republicans, Democrats, things that they want to do to fix the perceived problems that are out there in the housing market. Uh, any off the radar predictions or thoughts on the year ahead of us? Well, with Miami coming up, I'm mainly doing bathing suit shopping right now. Um, but <laughs> when, when you look to the future, it's always funny. These things always come up during election year when everybody wants to solve everything and they don't really uh, do the work when it's, it's an off cycle election year. Um, I kind of subscribe to what Rob talks about is these markets tend to work themselves out and, um, if everybody could just let things play out a little, a 5% interest rate is not a bad deal. Now, I will tell you, the affordability issues for customers and being able to get people to the lower, moderate income people housing, I think that is a serious issue that we should help with. But I don't know if the government's the right way to do that, or is there private investors that can come in and take down land and they get uh, maybe tax benefits or credit for building houses that cost 150 to 250000 so these people can afford it. Um, that's one of the things we've been working really hard on is um, actually becoming a servicer for the bond loans. Um, so we actually service the Texas Seth now, the CAFN in uh, Louisiana. We added uh, Indiana and we're adding Tennessee because that's an area we feel like as a servicer, we could take on a little bit more risk, but it'll allow us to have a little bit of an upside to offer some better rates to those for people that maybe can't afford a down payment as well. Um, so I would I would say that that, that that climate's always going to be shifting from there. The government's always going to be intervening, especially when it comes to election years, because it helps get votes, which is important. And I think as um, lenders at the Mortgage Collaborative, whether you're IMB or 
a broker or a depository is we, we've got to figure out a way to do that because ultimately if the pool of buyers uh, are all million dollar buyers, then we're going to be fighting for two loans a year. Um, and that won't be able to help us be sustainable at all. So we have to help be part of the process of figuring out um, that lower end problem, price-wise, not customer-wise. Zillow promising a housing super app. I say all the time, it's it's really the mortgage industry is fortunate. Zillow has not been able to figure out really anything they've been doing and the best ways to harness this massive amount of web traffic that they have. If you would have asked, I mean, I remember five years ago talking at our conferences about my real legitimate fear that what Zillow itself could do to the housing market if they figured out how to make loans and steal those borrowers away from members of ours before they even know it and you know they they bought the wrong mortgage company like three or four years ago and then they you know made this big push into i buying that just cost them gobs of money and time and resources uh, any thoughts on just zillow as a part of housing and their role we need like five more zillows it's awesome like i i you know i've always said whether it's keller mortgage or motto mortgage or zillow or even you know rheology um this seems to always happen. And as I tell people, just chill out, let's keep focused. And, um, but I don't think you're wrong. And I, and I said it earlier in the call and, and Rob, maybe you can back me up or, or have your different opinion, uh, which is they just have so much money that they, how, how could they not figure it out? Right? Like we barely have any money and we can't figure it out. How can they not with billions of dollars? Rob, yeah, what do you I think, think? I think you, you point, in the direction of, of the scrappy, whether it's a scrappy broker or a scrappy independent mortgage banker or a small scrappy bank or credit union, it's, it's the um, Zillow has a lot of a lot of money, but I wouldn't I don't know if I've ever heard Zillow described as scrappy, and there are a lot of really intelligent entrepreneurial types. Uh, in the lower ranks of of residential lending, that you know they're they're very good at what they do. So yeah, they've got a lot of money, but you know, so what? <laughs> you know, so they haven't figured out how, the biggest thing, Rich, which is how do you get local? And that's where the Zillow and Rheology and all these people are going to struggle is they have not figured out how to get local. If they do that, that'll probably be some problems for us. And I think it's, you know, my opinion, they've bought things instead of people like, I, you know, I, I'm lucky to interact with really brilliant leaders in the mortgage industry every day. And like, I've always thought that's kind of where these big companies with all these financial resources have gone wrong. Like, you know, hire a recruiter, put some time and energy into finding the 10, five or 10 smartest people in the mortgage industry and, and figure it out as opposed to buying crappy mortgage companies or trying to, you know, speculate and I buy homes. But luckily for our members and the industry, they haven't figured it out quite yet, but uh, we'll see what happens going forward here. So um, weekend plans, Rob, I know you're going to the all-star game, Jared Allen and uh, Darius Garland from my Cavaliers in the game. Uh, big year for the Cavs, big first half. So I'm sure it'll be a def- defensive struggle. <laughs> Steven, any weekend plans of note? Yeah, I got sports all week and I got kids. So I'm going to be sitting in a soccer field in 34 degree weather at 8 a.m. on Sunday if anybody wants to go. You're in the, the travel sports cycle of life. I know that. I just emerged from that. <laughs> Bro, yeah. 
And I got two diff two different club sports going at two different times. We split up half the summer in different areas of the country. Yeah. Well, Stephen, dude, always appreciate your insight. Stephen is actually also hosting the last week in mortgage today with me on Tuesday, which he probably forgot. Uh, but <sighs> I did more Stephen uh, next Tuesday on that show. Uh, Rob, uh, your fan club wanting to know if you're going to be courtside with Jay Z or Beyonce. Uh, at the all-star game. Should we look for you in one of the first three rows? No, no, not, not in one of the first. <laughs> three. <rows. laughs> no. Shouldn't you ask if Jay-Z is going to be with Rob? That's just be the way you should ask that question. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's all about perspective. That's right. All right. Yeah. Steven, thank you very much. We appreciate having you. On. Thank you guys for having me on. Appreciate you. Absolutely. And to our attendees, thanks as always for wrapping the week up with us. We are here every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern with the rundown with Robin Rich. And as co of course, you can find us on YouTube where we load all these videos and podcasts where the majority of our people listen. So until next Friday, have a great weekend, everyone. Take care. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.